What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we're coming to you live from a couple places on the internet. We're live over on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, X slash Twitter, Instagram. Maybe you're listening later on, I don't know, places. Android, Apple, Maybe this is a reel that your uncle sent you because he's really into, like, jackpot number one from Marvel Comics. A reel? Like an reel. Instagram reel or like a old timey like film reel? What do you, Alex? Let me ask you. What, what am do you, I doing? I'm doing a zoetrope. Do I'm doing yeah. a zoetrope in my head. Yeah, it's either doing, a zoetrope but... or the zoetrope. real something that most people use every day, or a zoetrope that your uncle mailed to you that you spit out. <laughs> Have we started? Uncle... Yeah. No, oh, no, wow. we started. We always open with a bit about zoetropes. Are they zoetropes or zoetropes? Right. Yeah. We should move on uh, from this, right? No, no, this is good. It's um, <laughs> Zoe Deschanel tropes. Ah, that's right. Really... Yeah, that's why you it know. has all of those bangs on it. Anyway, we are going to bring in our first guest tonight. We have two amazing guests for you, but let's bring in the first one. He is the creator of the book Enlighten Me, which is out now in bookstores everywhere. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, Min Lay. Min, welcome hey! to the show. Hello. Hey. Hello, everybody. Welcome. I like them. Um... I like starting out the image of the Library of Congress having physical reels of all your podcasts somewhere in there. They're <laughs> <laughs> safe for posterity for exactly. the post-apocalyptic world. We're going to have a lot of time on our hands. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Man, could you imagine if they made room for every podcast? They'd have to get rid of everybody else in Washington, D.C. Anyway. Um, we're gonna... Wait, wait, wait. Man, yeah, before we up? start, I just want yeah. to say that nerd oh. wall you got going on behind you is pretty epic. Is there anything you want to point out back there? Um, let's see here. Most of this is kid lit stuff. Um, so I made a deal with myself when I got my first book deal that every time I signed a deal, I would get like some kind of print um, from a oh, from nice. like, literature artist. So not all of these are book deals related, but like I've kind of I was gonna say, you're my, pretty good, so, pretty good yeah. couple of years, it looks like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I've given myself the excuse to, to kind of mark the occasion. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Awesome. My, for well, a graphic novelist, I do have a Tilly Walden print, um, who who is one of my one of my favorites from from that space. Yeah, yeah, That's we awesome. had her on the show a couple of almost a year back at this point, I guess. Yeah. Oh, really? um, but there you go, great stuff, uh, and you have great stuff too. So let's talk about it. Enlightenment yeah. came out a couple of months ago, back in September. This is a great all ages graphic novel that deals with meditation and self and walks you through a little bit of history and lessons of buddhism i thought this was absolutely delightful and one of the things that i think particularly for our audience if you hear that and nothing against it but if you hear like ah, buddhism or meditation right. it's you do it through the lens of this kid who's trying to learn about it and is filtering yeah. it through yeah, if you'd rather of... be playing your game boy instead exactly of yeah so it's filtered it's, through it's the lens of us when we're meditating right it's like um <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was such a great conceit and a great way of drawing kids in where did that start yeah no i'm, I'm so glad that you saw it that way because that was my hope because um as a kid i remember going to like the buddhist temple that i grew up in when my grandparents started there'd be all this amazing chanting and stuff like that and it seems so inaccessible to me, right? Like I know something spiritual is going on, but I don't understand what it is. Um, and so what we would do is my sisters and I would go up to the second floor and there'd be a little library and I'd read some of these stories about like the Buddhist past lives. And that was kind of 
how I got into the the spirituality side of it just through storytelling, right? So for me, I was like, what is the book that I wish I had when I was that age that kind of like combines the the kind of Buddhist folktale side of things, but also like the video game aspect and kind of like filtered through like a more modern sense of humor. So it was like kind yeah. of like bringing all, all these stories that have been around for thousands of years. How do you bring them up to the present in a way that like kids can actually engage with? Um, so that was, that was a hope. So I'm glad that that seems to come through for you all. Yeah, oh, definitely. One, one thing I love about what you just said is the idea that like when we are young, we have parents and grandparents who you love and you're like, right. they love this thing and right. I don't get it at all. What exactly. are they doing? Why? This seems not my thing. Uh-huh. And so you want to get into it, but you have, there's no entry point. And like, I feel like Enlighten Me provides such an entry point and especially like the the humor and just mm-hmm. the way it's, the art is such an accessible like way of getting into the book. Like it's, it's really, a, it's such a bright book, especially dealing with something that is so information heavy. Yeah. And- I really, I really love it. Uh, the art does such a great job of capturing the kind of imagination of this child that we get to kind of like rock through throughout this. And he, his imagination is so powerful and kind of beautiful. Mm-hmm. It just kind of, uh, lightens up the page in such a creative cool way i personally love the kind of like super mario 2 leaf Uh world you know when he turns Mm. into like a raccoon type of thing Mm -hmm. and then some amazing characters i mean obviously we've got like different kind of gods and stuff as well Mm -hmm. but i love the the turtle the lion like what were some (laughs) of the your favorite things that you got to kind of bring to this book or what are some of your favorite characters you got to see on this page that you were blown away with Mm -hmm. and why was it the turtle yeah (laughs) (laughs) i I, I love that framing um yeah no the artwork chan is such an amazing artist um and like i said i grew up reading a lot of these stories but i never saw them right because i just saw them in print so to see these characters brought to the page and these like super fun colorful illustrations um is so rewarding and when i show these to kids they get all jazzed up about it because it's like they see the they recognize the superhero references and they get all excited and then um to represent a lot of these kind of like short stories in like a superhero or a video game format Again, it's like something that like these kids know, right? They know that language, oh, yeah. they know that pacing. Yeah. So it kind of like locks in in a fun way. So my favorite episode um, or vignette within it is when he is fighting the the demon Scylla Saloma. Um, oh, kind yeah. of does like the the round one fight Street Fighter style yeah. battle. And for me, I'm round like, one. I I grew up playing so many thousands of hours of Street Fighter with my friends that like <laughs> that kind of rhythm of like facing off against someone was just like like candy to me and when i saw what chan did with it it was just like it was perfect um but but the turtle turtle is also is a close second (laughs) thank you you for putting that there one of the other things that i think really works about this book is and i'll say this is from my perspective i don't want to make this universal but I, i don't normally think about kids as needing to do meditation or needing enlightenment or anything like that like that's something for down the way with adults right. our age that we're going to deal with now but now yeah right now later on <laughs> after this podcast as much as humanly possible but you set it up really nicely as this kid is dealing with bullies at a school mm-hmm. for very specific Uh, racist reasons, other reasons, um, but just also generally bully reasons. And I thought that was such a nice framing to make 
me, the reader, an older reader, understand why this kid might need it, as well as using it as an entry point for younger readers. Oh, how did you hit on that? Why was that important to start off with? Um, yeah, no, for me, it was kind of, I remember being that age, right? And I had like the most supportive family, the most supportive community. But I remember when something would happen, when something would go wrong, I had this instinct to kind of like turn away from everyone and just kind of like deal with it on my own, right? And like yeah. not share not lean on the people around me. And I think that's a super common instinct when you're of that age of just like, you know what, this, I, I have to deal with this on my own, right? So whether it's like meditation or through these stories, him kind of figuring out, because there, there's a dual meaning for retreat in this story, right? There's the meditation retreat. But there's also that like instinct to like retreat from the people around you. Yeah. So the hope is that through these stories, they see a character whose instinct is to retreat um, finding his way back to himself, his family, his community, and just realizing that when you're dealing with stuff at school um, or like bullying and stuff like that, you don't have to do it alone, right? That that there are people who care about you that you can lean on them. So like filtering that message um, through like a fun video game storytelling kind of uh, story is hopefully that they'll come away with that understanding and that if they do have that instinct that I had to kind of like, go off on my own and just like wallow <laughs> in in the in those emo emotions uh, all that like stew of adolescence um that they that they at least have an example of a way out of that and let me just say uh despite the fact that i'm wearing a crooked hat and crang t-shirt i am an adult uh, but i did i did this really hit home with me as well just i feel like this is such a good read for anybody uh, oh, because awesome. we need to chill more and mm -hmm. and, and, right. and be sort of more uh, uh, meticulous with sort of what we're thinking about in, in, in a blurry world. Like, I feel like this right. book is nice for anyone of any age. Oh, that's I, I'm going to put that blurb on the, the next edition when it comes out. <laughs> yeah, I the, the Krang T-shirt and me yeah. being a human. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just <laughs> the first part, just the first part. Um, I want, I wanted to ask you about something that doesn't necessarily have to do with the book, but it's something that you say in your bio in the book is that you okay. wish you had time to meditate more. I'm paraphrasing mm. a little bit. <laughs> Has that changed at all since the book came out? And as somebody who has found it very rewarding when I've meditated, but always gets distracted and ends up doing other things that forgets about it, how mm. do you get yourself to get back to it? Okay, that's a funny question because leading up to the release of this book, I was like, oh, I got to put my money where my mouth is. I have to be able to <laughs> meditate. I actually have two meditation pillows on the back of my wall. Oh, in my nice, office right there. Yeah. I've taken plenty of naps on those pillows. Yeah, I guess they are. <laughs> they for show. They're, are they for show? I was like, I have, I've, um, I'm the master of like 15, 20 minute power naps in my office. And like those yeah. are where I end up using them the most. Though I have taken them for a spin a couple of times. Um, so meditation for me is still a work in progress for, for sure. But I think a lot of times for me now, it's like finding that one thing to do and just focus on that one thing and just be like totally present when you're doing it. Right. Cause mm. a funny thing I um talking about like podcasts and stuff, I'll go through phases where like, okay, I am going to be more mindful, just present in the moment. And then a minute later and be like, I'm about to walk upstairs. I need a podcast to keep me company for those five seconds. And I'm going from I, one room to the other, right? I'm um, the same way. I'm like, oh, I better throw something on. I got to yeah, like, I'm like, I'm <laughs> there for one minute. What am I, I know, What am I going to do in that time? Yeah. So so the the um, mix of like your 
ambition or like your ideal sense of how you spend your time and just like the practicality of it. I'm still working on ironing those out. Um, but I, I do try to be more mindful about stuff, even if I'm not like sitting down and like meditating. I feel like there are ways to build in that kind of um, attention to to what you're doing and where you are, which is at least hopefully a start. Um, yeah. And I can do that for at least a minute before I fall asleep on the floor over there. So, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm one minute starting. closer to, to, to enlightenment. One minute of meditation <laughs> as you're falling asleep. I, exactly. I do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nap, napping meditation is something I'm going to pioneer. And um, we'll see <laughs> All right. Well, I look forward to that. A million dollars yeah. in that. Since it has been out for a couple of months now, sort of on the same bent, have you gotten any feedback from people who have read the book and said, hey, this has encouraged me to meditate more. This has encouraged me to try meditation for the first time. Yeah, no, a couple of people have said, like, it's a really wonderful introduction for them into the idea, like kind of a reminder of why it's valuable. I've gotten more feedback from readers who are either dealing with or have family members dealing with bullies, which interestingly mm -hmm. enough, yeah. I like trying to figure out how, how to use this as a, as a vehicle for having that conversation. Because one thing about the story is that the bullying storyline doesn't really resolve, right? It's, it's kind of like there's an incident at school, yeah. he goes away. Because for me, the bullying episode is like this inciting incident, but the real journey is his own like internal journey of like being ready to share with his family, right? Being ready to come right. back and open up. And that that is the the resolution. But some people are like, oh, wait, but what, what happened with the bully at school? And I'm like, yeah, he went and beat up the bullies, though. Right, exactly. The whole family gets together and goes to school and beats up the kids. Yeah. <laughs> Community. Sequel. That's good. Yeah. Um, family. But I do think, I think kids can sort of um, sniff out content that is like, you have a bully, here's a very aggressive bully forward story. Right. And what I yeah. like about this as a dad, because I'm going to my kids are just like my older daughter's just a little too young to maybe quite get to, get all this. Mm -hmm. But I want to give this to her because it, it, it glances on it. So the story isn't about that. But you land in a place of yeah. dealing with it for right. yourself. Yeah. Because yeah. No, I'm glad because the, the hope is to avoid the um, falling into like the after school special type of storytelling beats and be like, because you said kids, kids pick up on that. And they're like, oh, here we oh, go yeah. again. Right. This is like yeah. the. Um, they've seen that before and they, they know how to sniff it out. So the hope is like to, to glance on those topics, to touch upon them, to, to be in conversation with them, but not like hammer, hammer readers over the head with it. So, and, and just to be clear, Justin is trying to get his daughter to be a bully is the and then be like, you're done. You're good. Yeah. You got it. And if you bully hard enough, the kids will leave. There we go. Perfect. Um, uh, this is exactly what I'm sure what you wanted when you came on the podcast, man. Um, <laughs> what, let's kind of uh, jump on to the next thing for a second, though, since this has been out for a couple of months and yeah. you, you always seem to have something that works per your wall in the background there. Yeah. What else is coming up for you that you can plug, if anything? Um. So... The illustrator I work with the most in picture books, his name is Dan Santat, and he just won the um, National Book Award for a graphic novel called First Time for Everything. Oh, we've, wow. done a, we've done a number of picture books together, including one called Lift, which was nominated yeah. for an Eisner a couple of years ago. Um, nice. So he and I have a fourth picture book coming out called Built to Last, which comes out in May. 
And given that he's just won the National Book Award, I'm just going to ride those coattails. And <laughs> love it. Just maximize as much as possible. Great place awesome. to nap is on someone yeah. else's coattails. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll bring my meditation pool along. There you go. Yeah. Into it. Uh, amazing. Um, Mim, this book is great. Really, yeah, really it loved is. it. Congrats Congratulations. on all the success. Oh, and looking forward to the next one. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so wait. much for having me, y'all. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, Have a good man. night. All right. Once again, the book is called Enlighten Me. It is out right now. It's stores everywhere. Absolutely amazing. May. Definitely check it out because. Let me awesome. ask you, Alex, should yeah. we start doing some like 10 to 20 second podcast content for when people have to get up and walk to the bathroom? Like, I feel like that's a great <laughs> niche for us to yeah. just very yeah, quickly. Totally. Oh, I thought you were going to say meditation in the middle of this yeah, podcast. I did like, just take a little bit. Oh, yeah, oh should we, we do a do guided a meditation? Minute. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if we're the right guys for guided meditation. Yeah, the one that I did, the guy had an Australian accent. Can either of you do an Australian accent? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. All right, I guess we can't do it. We'll work on this. We'll come Wait, up Alex, I don't think meditation. <laughs> no, it's fine. We'll do auditions later. We'll do auditions think... during well, my favorite section where you get to audition. <laughs> it's audition-y it. questions. It uh, instead, why don't we bring in our second guest? He is one Let's... of our favorite guys to talk to. You We're very excited awesome to have him back here. Ladies and gentlemen, Charles Soule. Charles hey! Oh, hey! oh, oh, man. Oh, oh man. This uh, is real life. Oh. We're here. Yeah. Uh, oh. It is great seeing you. It's great having you here. Um, I do want to turn it over to Pete, though, because Pete always asks people about the wall behind him. Pete, do you have any questions about Charles's exposed brick? Yeah, it's, a, it's <laughs> quite lovely. Uh, are you currently in jail, and do you need help? Very high uh, no, in jail. Um, or a dungeon? Inside a, a barn, as you can see, that oh, sort of yes. barn door situation. No, I'm in uh, I'm in Manhattan, New York. I'm not going to get any more specific than that because you know how the internet can be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. we got you pegged. Yeah. Yeah. That brick, yeah. nailed. That's, that's, that's one Manhattan apartment. brick has that shine to it. Yeah, um, yeah. I have, there, I'm actually looking at an incredible piece of art right above my, uh, my desk here that would make you guys... Uh, Make you guys feel some things, but I'm not. What you can't, you can't just quick show it <laughs> to a camera. Turn. Yes, that would be. Okay. I get to look at it. It's in my studio. Woo! Oh, it's yeah! Beautiful. Wow! Okay. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Just to give us a little bit, would it be something <laughs> we would see in She-Hulk or maybe Star Wars or? No, no, no. This know. was a custom piece done for me. Oh, wow. legendary! Truly I'm legendary collection. artist. Truly All legendary right. artist. Oh, boy. Oh. Wow. Yeah. No, I'm Picasso. Think it's a, I'm uh, guessing Picasso. Yeah, I think mm. it's a nude of Charles. Ben, ben for me. <laughs> yeah, for you. Anticipated me and, and created this before he died somehow. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, well, listen, me. there's a lot of amazing things that you're creating. So why don't yes. we jump into them? I do want to start off with all of the Star Wars stuff, if that's okay. Uh, because you have so many different irons in the fire there between doing multiple Marvel comics. You've been part of the... Uh, architects group or whatever the official name is <laughs> behind the high republic um you're doing the comics there but you're also writing the last book in the high republic trials of the jedi how it, i this is a dumb question to ask you and i feel like we've asked you this one million times over the years but i want to know specifically with star wars how are you keeping all of these different parts of it straight and the reason i ask that specifically is because like you're doing the end of the high republic you've also got multiple parts of the High Republic comic, you've got the Star Wars comic that's set mm -hmm. in a particular part. Um, what is the organizational structure there like for you? Well, um, as I'm sure I've mentioned in the past, I, uh, I use these 
right? So, yeah. so each one of these is for a different book. Like this one is for the Shrouded College. So this has Hell to Pay in it. This has oh, a wow. dozen in it. It has the start of the next one in it. Um, so I know when I open this book, everything else just goes away. It's like it's like I'm meditating. And, yes. and is that the theme? For yes, yeah. it is. I think, I think it is. so, yeah. I don't know. I just happened upon that. Anyway, <laughs> um, I use this. And so, so it really, you know, like I go to a place that isn't, I mean, sometimes I'm here, but usually I'm actually like doing the writing when I'm here. But when I'm like working on the story and breaking it all out, I do it here. Um, this is actually the High Republic one, uh, which since all of High Republic is secret, that's why it's like a camouflage. camouflage yeah, never it's got to be tough to find. Yeah, I, uh, I lose it constantly. It's yeah. very frustrating, <laughs> but um, I can never find it at night. It's very tough. But in any case, <laughs> in any case uh, that's kind of how I do it. I don't know. I, I get asked this question all the time because I am always working on, you know, like seven or eight different full-on stories at the same time. And um, I didn't, it, it all was born out of how I started doing this, which was when you, when you start getting into big two comics, Marvel and DC, you know, I think I talked to you, like we have, we all have a long history together. You know, we, we, have, we have been talking about comics for since the eighties, I would say. Well, I, believe <laughs> to, I believe we went to shrouded college together. <laughs> um, but, but when I got in, I was on three books for DC and three books for Marvel at the same time. And I was like, this is just what I have to do because I will make sure that every book is as excellent as I can make it. And every book is my ticket to the next book. And I'm not going to let any of them go. And, and, and it, I, I didn't realize kind of that I was really, really grinding myself into, into a little powdered version of Charles. And, <laughs> um, and so I, you would have thought I would have learned a lesson and stopped doing that, but I'm still doing it. I just, it's on things that you don't necessarily know about. Um, like I'm writing, actively writing Charles of the Jedi, which is a full on incredibly high pressure Star Wars novel that is essentially the episode nine of, of the High Republic. And the High Republic has been incredibly successful. So like yeah. I, I was, they trusted me with sticking the land and starting it and sticking the landing. So it's very, it's like if George Lucas had done both episode one and episode nine instead of just episode one. Could you imagine? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to imagine. Uh, That's my yeah, life. Just blew my mind there. Well, let me well, ask you about the oh, Star yeah, Wars, yeah. like because I think, and I've talked about this a lot when we're when we're talking about the books in specific, uh, because it's such a hard. It's the ones that take place during the continuity of the the main Skywalker movies. It's hard because you know what characters you you can you feature, but you can't really change much. You can't touch them. But I feel like you have such a knack for like the dark droid story, which you're doing in the main book now. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you, what's your process like sort of landing on something that has enough juice where it really feels like that strong story, but it doesn't feel like the end is an inevitable return to the main continuity? It is, it is a real exercise in needle threading. Um, I usually start with, you know, what are the questions that people might have answered that aren't answered by the, by the tenfold movies, right? So, so the, the comic run that I've been working on for, I don't know, it feels like since the eighties. Uh, um, <laughs> I've actually been working on it since I think 2018, uh, yeah. the, the current comic book run, it didn't start coming out then, but I started working on it all the way back then and then COVID and so on. So I've been, I've been on the main star Wars title one way or another for like, I don't know, five years. And so, yeah. and that is set between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And, and we are approaching 50 issues plus tie-ins and all these other things. It's, it's been quite a, quite a road. 
Um, but way back when, when I started doing it, I was like, okay, everybody hit, I'm, I'm assuming that the audience for these comics is mostly people who have seen Empire and Jedi multiple times, probably, who know them, consider them sort of sacred texts and will will understand allusions I may make or will understand what I'm doing with the characters and so on. So what are the questions that aren't answered by those two movies, things that must have happened between Empire and Jedi? Good example is Luke becomes a total badass, which he absolutely is not at the end of Empire Strikes Back. He's a whining, one-handed, yep. I guess he's not, he's, he's two-handed, I guess, at the very end. But for a little while, he's a one-handed mm -hmm. loser, okay? <laughs> But that's a good yeah. uh, that, you have notebooks full of those words. The one-handed loser show. You're well, the mean you know, girl gotta, of the loop. You gotta you gotta find ways to take what you feel here and, and make it palatable to the audience, yeah. right? But anyway, yeah, this one-handed loser wasn't very good at Jediing. You had to figure a lot of shit out. And but we don't see that. All we see is super Mr. Badass with two hands and a green lightsaber now and all this cool stuff. We don't see those things. And so I'm like, well, that is a story. That's an obvious, like, that's an incredible story, probably. And so I started figuring out what that would be. But then, I mean, that's the one that everybody thinks of. But then there's others. Like, how does Lando go from being this, you know, two-handed scumbag to <laughs> being somebody who I'm focused on the hand thing? Yeah, it's a very hand focused. That's what the key is. It's all about the hands. The hands yeah. all about the that's your way in. Yep. And so, you know, but he's he's like a scoundrel, right? He's a real grade A jerk. And and he's betrayed everybody. And like he he kind of turns it around very briefly at the end in a very Hollywood movie way. But when you get back to base, you're like, this dude is not a trustworthy dude. We should maybe not have him around. But yet he stays around. And not only does he stay around, he becomes one of the greatest heroes of the whole Rebel Alliance. Um, and you remember what he did in episode nine. He he was there. And so yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> the way that it that that story played out is interesting too. Um, Leia, how is she dealing with the fact that you know she wants to go rescue Han right away, but she doesn't? It takes her quite a while to pull all that together. Um, you know, and then you start getting deeper. Let me know if you want me to stop talking about cool, obscure Star Wars stuff, and I will. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. That's uh, how we started this podcast. I, I do want to ask you <laughs> just about like these filling these gaps and. To clarify before I get into what I'm about to say, we really like what you're doing on Star Wars. However, oh, yes. there's a lot of discussion. To clarify, in... <laughs> the <laughs> before I bring the hammer down, this is gotcha. No, but there's there's a lot of discussion, I think, about Star Wars, about the fact that it is always cutting it in the middle. And there's these gaps and things that are unexplained. And there's a lot of back and forth about why do you need to explain this? Should this be explained? But obviously that's your task here, right? With the Marvel comics. Yes. So how do you, how do you wrestle with that? I, I would clarify what you said slightly by saying the task is not to explain every single unexplained point between the films, right? The, the there's, there's value in leaving things left unexplained. Uh, but the key is, and the art in it is choosing the things that do make good stories and the things that people would want to read that, that don't, um, feel like they are over explaining or giving too much. Like, again, the Luke thing is something that everybody, every every like real Star Wars fan, I don't wanna talk about the fake Star Wars fans, the <laughs> real Star Wars fans wanna know, right? They wanna know how he did it. And what I have written here is, you know, there was a there was another version in Legends about how he did it. And this is, this is, you know, the current version of how he did it. And what a privilege to get to write that story. So it's, there's a, there's real cherry picking that goes on because you don't really wanna write 
you know, the backstory and, and legends did it right. And, and there were some incredible stories told there, but like legends told the backstory of every single character that would, that appeared yeah. on screen. We got all of them. Um, and I don't know that that's necessarily always the path or certainly it shouldn't be the path for the current canon yet. Um, you know, I think that was born out of a lot that, that there just wasn't new Star Wars material. And so they had to work with what they had. Now we're getting tons of new Star Wars material um, in TV and, and films, uh, you know, comics all over the place. So there's a lot of places where you can find new original ideas. Um, and you mentioned Dark Droids before, which I think is a good example of something that yes. uh, brought entirely new uh, characters and ideas and conflicts into Star Wars, but yep. built off concepts that are already there, which is, you know, droids, sentience, independence, something again a real big unanswered question about stars is what is the deal with those little friendly people that everybody treats like the robots um yeah. and so you know it's just you you get you get sort of you get a sense of how to do it is what i would say i've been writing star wars since 2015. you get better at it you find you you see the opportunities you know where the juice is to quote whoever mentioned juice earlier. <laughs> Probably well, I'm the juice guy. Yeah, you've been talking yeah. about juice like nonstop for weeks. I'm a juicer. Uh, do, how much Star Wars content, you're obviously creating a lot. How much are you consuming? Are you going back uh, just for research? Or is there anything you're watching for pleasure or, or reading? So what you're asking is, am I making more than I'm consuming? Which would No, be I assume movie. you're making more than you're consuming, but <laughs> are you even watching? Are you consuming any? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I have a I have a job um, in addition to all the other jobs, uh, which is I'm a creative consultant for Lucasfilm. And so I got that gig. I don't know. Time is so weird now, but I got it a year and a half ago, something like that. And so that has involved uh, all kinds of things, talking to other creators in the Star Wars space, reviewing other people's stories, um, just doing what I can to to offer whatever little insight my Star Wars brain can can offer up. So I am consuming a lot of like that, uh, but also I, I stay up to speed on everything because everything is, every, you, you have to, you know, for the job that I do to be, to continue to be, good at it i have to know what happened in ahsoka episode six you know i have to know nice. what what bad batch was about i have to know you know what's i have to know what's going to happen in star wars outlaws um you know those kind of things it's all it's all important and unfortunate like you know this is the thing like i i think arguably all four of us have loved this shit since we were like little right yeah. like it's been mm -hmm. one of the things for us and i get to be like in there and talk to the people and they know me and we all like work together it is rad. It is absolutely. <laughs> I I agree. Uh, I do <laughs> think what you're doing is rad. I just want to say uh, real quick, I get very excited when I see your name on a comic. And uh, it's just one of those things that really kind of like, oh, man, what's Charles doing now? What is he going to? One of the things I want to talk about uh, with dark droids is the line that you walk where you don't break our hearts, but man, you bring us to that brink a little bit. And then uh, I, I just want to know, like, how do you know where that line is? Is it just from all the Star Wars knowledge that you've consumed? Because I felt like you did such a great job, especially with Dark Droids, of like showing us the possible most evil thing that could kind of happen Almost does, but then you kind of and, pull and back spoilers. And... But you're talking about when in the last issue, for anybody who doesn't want to know, tune out now. But in the last issue, when 
they actually take over all the characters, right, Pete? Right. Well, yes, okay. that's the kind of thing that's building up the whole time is you're sure. you're seeing these droids that you know and love turn to the dark side and then do horrible things in front of you. And then you're like, oh, God, how is this going to keep escalating? And, and it does. But unfortunately, you know, we do the good guys do win at the end. But do you purposely be like, how far can I take this? Or, or how, how I mean, do you kind of set up that yeah, line? You no, know, I, I think, I think the, the general vibe with that kind of stuff is yes, you take it as far as you can. And because fans can feel a, like a pullback fans can feel a, Oh, all right, whatever. You know, like this isn't, yeah. the stakes don't exist here. And, and you're already dealing with a situation where the stakes kind of, don't exist because we know Return of the Jedi happens. We know Force Awakens happens, Last Jedi, you know, Episode Nine, etc. So, um, we know instinctively that Luke Skywalker is not going to die. We know Leia is not going to die. We know three PO is going to get better, right? Um, but you can put them in situations where you're like, "Oh shit, that was fucked up." Like what happened to yeah. like Luke? Luke Skywalker gets taken over by this gigantic. He gets it's not the Borg. It's different. It's cooler than, I mean, the Borg are super cool, but like it's, he gets taken over by this absolutely insane droid consciousness that has decided that it needs to own everything, like be everything so that it, it won't, it won't continue to go insane. It's like, it's crazy. So it's losing its mind a little bit, but it it gets Luke and it gets the force and it, it is, it's like, I am the, it, the, the line just before it gets, you know, killed is I am the new force. And that's like, whoa, Scary. I, I, I don't know how, how like cool I think my own story is, but I, I was like, that would, that would well, creep me out. If, it floored me. Well, it's me? exciting to let Nayla to find a new idea. Like, oh shit, this threat mm. is a, is maybe scarier than some of the canon stuff. And yeah. I'm going to just throw this out there and see if I pick you, you pick it back up or someone else or someone else. Yeah, I mean, there's room for it. I I think you know Luke Ross. We can't, um, you know, and Alex Sinclair, who did respectively the the art and the colors. Uh, we have to call out their involvement on that series. Like they, you know, I I in the scripts I would give all these, like reference. You know, the way Alien was claustrophobic inside a spaceship. Um, the way that like, you know, the thing used body horror. The way that like uh, Friday the Thirteenth uses like Dutch angles to creep you out. Like you know, a lot of um. You know, Halloween would do the shots through the mask, uh, yeah. you know, to creep you out. Like, I, I specifically called out references to those things in the scripts to say, this is what I want this to feel like for the reader. And they were willing to go with it and and exceed what I wanted. Um, you know, it was amazing. And and honestly, the my favorite part of this is the, so so the, the, the idea is you have this droid intelligence called the Scourge. And the Scourge just is sort of born one day and realizes that it can, it can, surreptitiously split its mind up and put its mind into different droids just by kind of like contacting them. So you start having droids all over the galaxy that are all this one thing. And it's like, they're all like watching the, the, the people, you know? So it's like your phone start being taken over by this thing and your phone is like listening to you and it's thinking about you. And it's, it's like, that's not possible, you. Charles. It's judging, you for, <laughs> judging you for the things that, oh, that you don't do. judge me. Right. And, and so, and it realizes that what it has to do is it has to find a way to get into the organics um, because if it doesn't, they will figure this out and kill it. And so the whole book has this sort of like arc of it trying to figure out how to go from the metal to the meat, as it says. So it goes from 
popular droid characters, R2-D2, etc., to uh, cyborg hybrid characters like Lobot, to eventually the the human. And so you you just like I don't know. It it had this very natural arc of increasing horror and 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 tension, which I really loved. Like you can see the path that it's going to take. But but to go back to Luke and Alex, one of the things I asked for is it needs to have all these like screwed up mistakes along the way. It needs to try mm -hmm. to like stick an arm a human arm on a droid and see if it works. It needs to like put a put a stormtrooper's head on an astromech's body and like see if it works. And so there's all these incredible shots of of the scourge like in these horrifying experimentation labs doing that and you know to lucasfilm's credit they and and marvel's credit they're like yep this is cool let's let's do this uh which i was i was very pleased about i was kind of surprised and pleased about no right, great i mean when we were talking about it that was one of the big things that struck me is those designs plus the scourged out star destroyer that was flying yes. all the time very, very cool. Uh, before we move on, though, I did want to ask you one last thing about this Dark Droids thing. When did you hit on the idea, which I was so struck by in the finale of the series, that, like you said, the Scourge is losing his mind, but you really feel for him in a certain way towards the end uh -huh. there because he starts to understand self and understand he, he becomes so bifurcated throughout that he almost starts to recognize himself as an individual being how did you hit on that idea? You know, the, I'm a big fan of, of science fiction and science fiction tropes and, and all that stuff. So I've read more than my share uh, and, and viewed more than my share of like artificial intelligence stories, everything from like HAL 9000 to um, Ex Machina. I mean, there's tons. This is, this is, this is well trodden ground. And so I was like, okay, what is going to make this interesting and unique? Uh, and, We've seen stories where it's one one body coming to that sort of realization that it's self-aware and intelligent. Um, and, you know, that is ex, ex machina. That's sort of AI. That's, um, although it's arguable in AI, uh, that's, you know, 2001, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what we haven't seen is the idea of of the, the, the sentience um, or the, the being expanding through many, 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 all these different minds and getting, and getting more and more experience and more and more memories and living more and more lives to the point where it can't, it can't really distinguish between a memory and, and the present. And it's having a really, really hard time holding itself together. Um, which I think is something that like, we're, we are, we are sort of as humans, we are restricted by our, 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 you know, bodies and our skulls and our eyes that let us only see what we're encountering, reading, whatever. But if you really could experience everything that was happening in the world or the galaxy at the same time, plus everything that ever has happened through memory banks, it would be terrifying. It would be a terrifying experience is what I actually think. And so I wanted to make the scourge as terrified as the characters are. And it's just this, this big swirling thing. And honestly, if you can make the reader feel for your villain, you've done a, you, you've done your job, you know? But yeah. well, I, I like it. Cause it, it, it plays to me as obsession. Like the scourge is so obsessed with getting into, into the meat that then you start to feel like you with something that was scary at first by the end you're like ah it's just not happening for you man <laughs> and so you just start to that's that to me where the transmission the transition was from being legit scared of it to being like sort of feeling a little sorry at the end when it's and when it's defeated yeah. I, I hope it pulls it off someday. That's all I'm saying. I'd love to give me some scourge. Take yeah, my meat. I'd, I'd love to get her the beat. Uh, let's let's 
Let's talk about. Well, hold on. We got we got a question from YouTube here. I wanted to ask, which is a, a bit of a swerve, but well, I'll throw it out here before I forget. This is from Edward Doherty. I was a big fan of Letter Forty Four. Any plans for a similar series? How would you create a science fiction metaphor for the Trump era? Uh, and he also follows up with, "I just realized that idea is undiscovered country." <laughs> but yeah, um, I think that's exactly right. You know, uh, that is that is what Scott and uh, Scott Snyder and and Giuseppe and I did with Undiscovered Country. We we really were struck by the the, the way America uh, is rat was is and was rapidly changing, was rapidly withdrawing, was rapidly. You know, this is again. You know, we put that book out in 2019. It started which was right in the heart of, of, the, of the Trump uh, presidency. And it just felt like America was, was, was becoming something that was unrecognizable to us. And even more was, you know, because of the rhetoric that was happening at the time was withdrawing from its role on the global stage intentionally. And so, you know, any good science fiction premise, hopefully takes something that has a nugget of reality to it and spins it out into craziness. And, and so that's what we did with Undiscovered Country. Um, speaking specifically of letter 44, I, uh, well, thank you. I am. I really. Uh, I really like that one too. That was my first big. You know, I. Th I think again, all four of us uh, on this on this call here, call on this call. Sure. sure. Um, yeah. Zoom, Zoom. The Zoom we're having um, are familiar with like the big. You know, like ten volume, six volume trade series that we. You know, whether it's Preacher or Sandman or whatever they happen to be. And so when I had the opportunity to be like, oh, I'm going to do one. Uh, that was that was letter forty four. So that was the first time I ever really ex tried to do something long and extended in the comic book space. And I'm I'm extremely proud of of how it went. Um, I'm actually working with Alberto Jimenez Albuquerque right now on the second of the Strata College stories. It's called The Bloody yes. Dozen. I happen to have um, first issue right right here next to me. Oh yeah, that's the comic book right there, guys. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah. He's he's drawing the hell out. I'm sure we'll talk about Charter Calls in a few minutes. But um, as far as Letter 44 specifically, uh, you guys want an exclusive? Yes, please. Yeah, sure. always. We're journalists. I might have said this other places, though, so I'm not sure if it's an exclusive. But I'll still <laughs> I, I, I don't know if opposite. you know what an exclusive is. That's not an exclusive. <laughs> okay, well, in any case, um, Letter 44. So uh, I am going to be putting out a, a new edition of it through Image, um, I think, this year. And uh, there, there's a lot going on in the adaptation space with Letter 44, very exciting things. And so I, and I've always thought it would really work well as one of those big like mega compendiums. So um, it's a lot of issues. It's, I think it ended up being like 36 issues yeah. when all was said and done. So uh, it's gonna be a, a big one, you know, one of those like Saga Walking Dead level compendiums. But um, at the same time, what I think I might do, and I have, you know, Alberto's gotta finish his work on Bloody Dozen, but he's doing amazing stuff. Um, I, I am kicking around the idea of something like a letter 45, um, yes. which would be a very different story. Um, and I don't know if that, I think it would have to be set in the same universe, um, for, you know, name recognition and all that stuff. But, um, I think like, just like a six issue thing, just, you know, to put it, put it out alongside the compendium, just to say, here's something cool for you fans who've been waiting for a while. So I'm not sure. Oh. But it is, it is, it doesn't have a moleskin or anything like that. But it, uh, not it yet. Could. It could. That's it could. exciting. Uh, you, said, you said there's a lot going on in the letter 44 space. Uh, what, what were you gesturing toward there? Is there any? Well, uh... letter 44 is a book about space. 
Ooh. Oh, that's what it was just. Nice. Well, you were, so correct me if I'm wrong, I probably had my years wrong, but I think it was developed or being developed as a TV series back in like 2014, 2015, something like that. Mm-hmm. Is that we meeting in the pit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I think wow. So. All right. Yes. Nice. Um, is that still ongoing in any way or are there new developments there? There are new developments. I uh, got the rights to it back and um, right. did a wonderful deal for the series with uh, Seth MacFarlane's company, uh, mm-hmm. Fuzzy Door, oh. or connected to um, Universal. And I think they just put out the TED prequel series, which I think like was yep. like very well received. Um, yeah. And, you know, they so they have been working on adapting it since I don't know, 2020, 2021, something like that. And I have read the pilot script. I really like it. Um, It's written by somebody awesome. And, you know, you never know. These things just are going to be what they're going to be. There's no guarantees. But I feel like between, like, there's a lot of interest in UAPs at the moment, and rightly so. Uh, They're a very interesting topic. And and even, even if it ends up being smoke and mirrors. Like what an interesting thing to have happening at this particular time. Like the way Congress is all over it and like the hearings and stuff, uh, you know, yeah. the Pentagon releasing videos and like every it's, it is fascinating no matter what the actual story is. Um, and so I feel like you have an audience that is really primed for a story like letter 44, which for those who don't know is about a US president who gets elected and on day one finds out that in fact, aliens are real uh, and they are coming for us like right now. And so everything that he, thought he had to do for his job is now completely wiped off the board because he has to deal with this. And um, so like there's a presidential, you probably haven't heard, but there's a presidential election coming later this year. Oh, um, shit. Who's yeah. who's up? Who's up for it? Up in the air, you see, because um, oh, okay. the, there's, you know, primaries and things that have to happen. So we'll see how it goes. Oh, good. So but, we have some um, time to not be stressed about it, you're saying. It should be fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but anyway, I think it's a good time for a letter 44 TV show to exist. I think people would be very interested in seeing something like that. So Hell let's yeah. all cross our fingers that it happens, um, because it sure would be good for, uh, that compendium move. a couple. It, of yeah, yeah. It is very funny because I feel like, uh, UAPs is something that now is just like snuck in. Everyone's like, I believe in that and always have, it's like just generally accepted that that's a real thing. <laughs> And uh, I think it is, you're right. It is. Are you, anytime there's a story about that, are you like, yes, that's a win for Charles today? <laughs> I mean, of course, I, as you know, I'm extremely mercenary. Um, yeah. I really don't want to talk about the bottom line, but I, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I have always found that to be, I mean, I wrote a whole, like when I had my chance to write my first mega series, it was about that subject, you know, yeah, like right. I've always been fascinated by it since I was a little kid and I am, I am following these developments with great interest. Like I'm, I'm being, um, a little, like I'm on a mailing list about it, you know, like I get, yes, get nice. in there, get deep. Yeah. Uh, Wait, I'd I, like- I did want to, sorry, before we move on, I, I did want to ask you a quick other adaptation question. Sure. Uh, you mentioned undiscovered country. I know you yeah. and Scott were working on scripts for, I believe a movie trilogy last time we were talking about it. Um, any status update on that at this point? So Scott and I wrote a, a I, I think, a, a great script. I mean, the, the trick with that is that we were writing it. We always knew, again, like Undiscovered Country was and continues to be yet another mega series, right? And when we were writing the script, we were writing it. We hadn't, we knew the shape of what we were doing, but there were many, many things that hadn't happened yet. And so we were writing that screenplay, like writing toward the ending we thought we were going to do. 
which basically is the ending we're going to do. But it was it was extremely difficult, especially since we were both like we were writing it during the pandemic summer, and it was it was it was, it was not not my favorite writing experience. But it, it, in the sense of not not anything about like Scott or anything like that, it was just it was hard. It was hard work, hard to focus. I was writing Light of the Jedi at the same time. Like there was just too much happening all at once. Um, so so there is a, an awesome screenplay that we finally got done and turned in and we really like the production company really likes it um but you know again another piece of news you guys might not have heard about is last summer there was a strike there was a big strike uh, a is strike. that tied to this election thing you're talking about or are those two different stories there's a lot just there's a lot happening you got to get on some newsletters man so yeah, that i just on, read man. comic books i just it's read happening. comic books that's all i do um but and anyway candy. everything is weird everything is pushed back we will see what happens um I think Undiscovered Country. Now that we're we're approaching the finish line on it, it's going to be a thirty-six issue series. We we are as convinced as ever that it would be just astonishingly cool TV or film. So you yes, know, um, we'll see what happens. But uh, you know, I, I think Scott's writing issue twenty-nine right now, and then I'm on thirty, which will finish the arc, and then we have the last arc, which is real, real bonker stuff. That's going to be really cool. <laughs> well, that's yeah, great. I have, I have one last yeah. adaptation thing I want to ask you about. No, no, no. This is just, no, just no, to no, wrap no, up no, this. You, you got a lot of stuff. You got a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah. But this will transition nicely, I think, into the next comics thing. Uh, Eight billion genies. That's what I've been waiting to talk about, motherfucker. Well, hold on. No, no, just jump in, hold me. All I was going to say about it specifically, for anybody who doesn't know, at least this was announced a little while back. Uh, you and Ryan Brown are both EPs through Amazon on movies and TV shows, is the way it announced. Mm-hmm. One thing that I loved about that announcement, which I it frustrates me to no end that doesn't happen with more of them, is it was both you and Ryan Brown were announced versus Charles Soule's 8 Billion Genies gets adapted for TV. Was that something the two of you talked about to make sure that you both actually got equal weight in terms of this announcement versus... Most of these type of things, they favor the writer, writer over the artist. Well, rightly so. But in this <laughs> case, um, Ryan is is one of my best friends, not just in comics, but like in the world. And uh-huh. eight billion genies and curse words and the new one we're doing and you know like popcorn thing back in Swamp Thing, like none of those things exist and are as good as they are without Ryan. Like we all know what I bring to the table. I've been talking about it. But he he brings this completely unique and incredibly powerful ability to, you know, draw. He's incredible, like, draftsman and all that stuff. But also the the way he brings humor and emotion into what he does is is peerless, as far as I'm concerned. So the idea that you're going to talk about 8 Billion Genies, which is a story that has to be incredibly absurd, but also incredibly affecting, often in the same scene, is... You cannot, like, it wouldn't have worked as well as a novel. Like, I would have written the shit out of it, but it wouldn't have worked as well. And it, and I, um, I'm extremely excited to see what they do with the film. Um, like, that's another one that has a lot of really serious talent on it that I'm not going to mention. But, like, they really, they are not screwing around on that, which is amazing. Um, because it would be really, I mean, the book has already brought incredible things to both Ryan and me. Like it's been a real game changer for both of us, but there's a whole other, like there's other games that are out there that we could potentially be changed into if the, if the movie becomes a, a big deal. So um, 
I don't know. But as far as like, how did that happen? The joint executive producers, both in the announcement, whatever, like we, we, 8 Billion Genies was a, was a huge like bidding war situation. There were 27 studios that wow. wanted it. And so when Amazon, like when we got down to our last group of five, then our last group of three, et cetera, we were able to say things about, we want this, we want this, we want this. And one of the things we wanted was that press release. And, and we got like to be able to craft, not craft it, like they did it, but we got to approve it and like fiddle with the wording and stuff. So, That's great. um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, we're we're a team. You know, you don't make those these things in a vacuum. I don't know if you guys know much about how comics are made, but <laughs> mostly in a vacuum, as far as I'm aware. Uh, no, well, it just my point is, space. I was very happy like to space. see. Yes, like space. We always come back to it, Pete. I'll stop. Yeah, Alex, shut the table. hell up. All right, thank you. Speaking <laughs> of eight uh, billion genies, um, we've uh, gone drinking with you a bunch of times, and it's always an adventure. This <laughs> premise really seems like a fun night out, drunk on. All right. If you if you had a genie and you could make all the wishes, <laughs> like how? Where did the germ of this idea happen? Was it in a bar? Like was, how did this? Was. Yeah. So so what happened was, um, as I mentioned, Ryan and I are very close friends, and so we hang out. We hang out even when we're not working on comics, which is probably hard to believe. Wow. And, and I, I imagine you when you were traveling around the country in a van, plugging curse words and doing amazing signings and enriching people's lives. Man, I wish, uh, I wish he, I, I, you know, I, you know, as I said, he's a really good friend and I care about him a great deal, but he, he had some kids and now it's going to be a lot harder to go out in a van and drive around the country again. And I'm, I'm super pissed at him for doing that. (laughs) Um, But in the, in, before those, before those kids showed up who are awesome, before those awesome (laughs) kids showed up, um, we did. We did tons of cons. We still do tons of conventions. We still hang out all the time. But one of the things we would do is sit around and just like try to make each other laugh. And one of the things that we did was we talked about stories that could not, like impossible stories, stories that couldn't exist. And Ryan uh, came up with the initial sentence, which is everyone on earth gets a genie at the same time. And his contention was that someone would immediately wish for the world to blow up or to become a pile of ice cream or batteries or whatever. That's what he said. He says, someone would wish for everyone on earth to be a pile of batteries, which is a very Ryan Brown idea. Um, uh, And so he's like, the book would be over on page two. And I said, you know, Ryan, I think there might be something here. So let's just sit on it. Let's just let it, let it cogitate. Um, That's not right. I would cogitate. The idea would marinate. You're marinating in the idea. You're like, yes. let it me. Let it soak in a little bit. And that was so long ago that at the time we called it 7 billion genies. And that is not just a <laughs> That's actually That's the hilarious. truth. And um, then when we finished curse words up, we we're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And what we decided to do is take a break because we were exhausted. But then <laughs> when the break was over and we were like getting into like th- then it was like pandemic time again. Um, and so we did our, our fabled curse words Kickstarter, which is still not totally fulfilled because I have to finish this fucking album that I've been working on for four years. But um, <laughs> the when we, we finished that and then we're like, okay, what are we gonna do? And I said, I wanna go back to the genie's idea. We were kicking around like, I don't know, we had a lot of stuff. He wants to do this book about just tall guys. Just that's it. <laughs> I'm not so sure. I like I keep, he really that's he he comes back to it over and over again. He wants to do a book about tall guys. I don't know. I don't know what that is. Um, that 
but I thought the genius idea had some merit. So I'm like, just let me go and sit with a notebook and figure it out. And so I did. And I came back and I said, I think it could work this way. And that's when I had the beginnings of the rules, which were like, it's not three wishes, it's one. Um, on in the first issue, somebody wishes for their bar to yeah, be. Yeah, I was going to say that bar part, really. Right. And then all of a sudden, you just follow the characters that are in that bar as they are watching what happens to the rest of the world. So you have an, an opportunity to put the audience, the readers in the bar as they are also watching what happens to the rest of the world. And then from there, it was just spinning it out and, and figuring out the best way to do it and find the emotional core. And, um, you know, I think what we ended up with was a, like a, like a, I don't know. I, I think it is, it is basically a perfect comic. Uh, and those are very hard to do. Um, I don't know that I've done another one and maybe a single issue here or there that I could say that about, but like an actual series from start to finish that I would, I would say is like a plus plus stuff. I, yeah. I feel that way about this one. I think it lands on every level and I'm, I'm super proud of it. Yeah, yeah that's uh, it's a great book. You have another great book that we talked about earlier, though, which is the Interconnected Shrouded College books for oh, people yeah, who haven't yeah. checked them out. There was Hell to Pay came out, six issue series. Mm -hmm. That was about a bunch of cursed coins that people were trying to take back. Oh, they summoned yeah. demons from hell. But then there are five plus series that are coming out the current one that you mentioned is the bloody dozen i believe the second issue comes out tomorrow it's a cursed coin don't Good wish demon in there. um but the second issue of that comes out and this is a heist thriller basically or a jailbreak thriller yep. uh where a bunch of astronauts are sent to break out or break in we don't exactly know what the plan is yet um at least as of the first issue there are a bunch of vampires that are imprisoned right next to the sun uh this is great and one of the things that i love about this which you talk about a little bit of the back matter but bloody does it is so different just from the get-go for the first issue with hell to play is that does that come from sort of you trying to refresh yourself with each project come in and just like okay, I'm gung-ho, I'm going to jump into this, or... I mean, basically, the, the idea yep. is is to make... So so, so the, the concept of the Strata College is to make a sort of, like, horror adventure MCU kind of deal. Uh, you know how Hellboy has all those books that are set in the Hellboy universe, but they have sort of different premises. Um, this is kind of that. Although what you want to... How you want to think about it is that there are... There are six miniseries, uh, each is five or six issues long, um, mostly drawn by Will Sliney with the occasional, um, you know, uh, fill-in uh, issue, not fill-in, like the occasional arc from from Alberto, whom is Albuquerque, the letter 44 artist. Um, and Will obviously is, is I did an incredible Star Wars book with him called The Rise of Kylo Ren, and he's an, he's an incredibly accomplished uh, Star Wars and Spider-Man artist and Marvel artist in general, but also uh, in an amazing twist has become, um, the children's Bob Ross of Ireland. He is very, very famous over there. Uh, he's on TV. He's on like he he has like seven shows there. Um, Dang. Whoa. Yeah, I, I I went and visited him once, and uh, he's it's like super charming Irishman, like you know, showing me around whatever we go to. He takes me to the, the Jameson Distillery, which was lovely, and uh, we are we're going to go back to his place. And he's like, okay, I'll call a car. I'll call like, you know, whatever the car service, not like fancy pants, just like, like a taxi basically. And so he calls up and the, um, 
the taxi person is like, are you the, are you, you're not the Will Sliney, are you? He's like, oh, well, you know. And um, so he draws her a little like Spider-Man head uh, and like gives it to her. And it just, it was, it was interesting because um, as we said, the writers really make it all happen. And so it was yeah. weird for me to be in a position where the artist was getting yeah. played. It's awkward yeah, that he did that to you, honestly. That's offensive. But anyway, coming back to the Strata College. So Will and I decided we we're going to make this big interconnected horror adventure universe. And, and my basic inspiration for all of it is like, you know, 90s, early aughts, like not super high budget, but still kind of kick ass horror movies. So like, did you guys ever see um, Prophecy or mm. um, Legion was one, um, oh, Event yeah. Horizon. That's kind of what partly inspired this book. Um, Sunrise, although that movie's awesome. Um, even Resident Evil, like those Mia Jovovich movies. Oh yeah. Like, there's there is this time when you would get just schlocky, like B movies, right? But they're mm -hmm. but they're a little bit elevated. They have great they have a great cast. They have you know a director who wants to do something interesting, or they're at the beginning of the career, so they're you know they become more famous later. Um, but they all have kind of have this tone and. So that's what these are kind of designed to be. And so it's really, you have one really cool idea. Um, the first one was about there's 666 cursed coins let loose on Earth, Earth and a married couple has to hunt them all down if they can be like ever allowed to be free. In this one, you have a group of vampire nobles that was captured many years ago and imprisoned in this like prison facility shaped like a cross orbiting the sun. It's made out of glass and orbits the sun. So they're all in their coffins. And if they get out, they're gonna fry immediately. Bad news for oh. them. But the Shrouded College, which is the, the organization that's kind of like the Avengers initiative of, of this series, um, basically makes secret agents by giving them magical powers and then saying, you have to do this Mission Impossible for us. So in this one, the Mission Impossible is going up to that sun prison, breaking the vampires out, bringing them back to Earth, and then giving them to the Shrouded College so that they can weaponize them for this big you know, magical cold war that they're that, that they're embroiled with. So there's what you have are six and eventually seven really cool, self-contained, kick-ass science fiction, comic B movie, awesome things. You also have a really neat developing mega story that is about the Shrouded College realizing that they're like the kind of the the shittiest <laughs> of the um of the various magical organizations on earth and so they have to like and when the war comes they're going to lose for sure so they have to do all these like dirty tricks and, and terrible things to try to like desperately survive and take down the other big so it's you know it's like you've got china russia united states those are the magical powers and then you've got like papua new guinea and that's that's the shrouded college <laughs> and it's it's trying to be a player in this magical cold war um Oh, so I, I just wanted to give a quick shout out. I know you mentioned the two series. I don't know if it's still available on your web store, but at New York Comic Con, you launched a oh, one yeah. shot there. Yeah. Shrouded College Newton, I think Newton. is the name. And that's great. Like if anybody is a fan of the Shrouded College, track that down, buy it. It gives so much information about what's going on here and really opens up the world in a big way. Very, very fun. Thank you. Um, yes, and that is still available on uh, my website, which is just charlesoul.com slash store. You can also get, we did one extra issue of 8 Billion Genies there too. Ryan and I did a, an issue yes. called Wish World, which was designed to sort of put our toe in the water of doing more genie stories. Because obviously, if you have 8 Billion Wishes, you have 8 Billion Stories. And so 
we thought maybe we would we would tell some of those and whether or not that becomes an ongoing later on something we come back to anthology series we don't really know but it was really fun to do more of both strata college and genie so it's just neat that these days you can you direct to consumer and newsletter sales like you really can give things directly to the fans it's great um but anyway just to quickly wrap up on strata college it is like we will and i are both in a position in our careers if i didn't mention he's like you know, Irish heartthrob artist dude, um, superstar, <laughs> yeah. where we can say, we're just going to do this whole thing. And because we want to do it, and we don't necessarily have to worry too much about if it sells, you know, whatever, however many copies it sells a month, like we're going to do the whole thing. And we're, we're both good enough at making money from comics that we will make money from it. But it doesn't have to be like, you know, we're just going to do it all because we want to tell the story. And it doesn't hurt that it also is being adapted. Um, also by Seth MacFarlane's company, uh, which is Fuzzy Door. They, uh, I guess they like my stuff. Um, right, yeah. They're planning to adapt it as a, as like a supernatural Mission Impossible TV series. So that is in the works as well. So yeah, I've got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, we have kept you very long, but I do want to ask you about one more TV thing before we let you go, just because it just happened. Uh, you may have heard this at the end of Echo in the post credit sequence. Yeah. There seems to be a tee up for your Mayor Fisk storyline, potentially yeah. up to the board again. <laughs> I've also seen you retweeting a lot of rumory stuff about potentially Muse being the villain in Daredevil board again. Um, at, at this time, like you've done so much stuff. Is there a thrill there when you hear that? Or is there like, I wish they had given me a call and money or somewhere <laughs> in between? It's, it's in between, I guess, is what I would say. I think here's, here's it. The, I was actually just talking about this with somebody the other night who, who kind of asked the same question. And, and the most honest answer I can give you is that because my career has as many facets to it and, and is kind of as robust as it is in terms of its scope, I'm not talking necessarily about like, I don't know, I'm not like Frank Miller or anything like that. We're like, you know what I mean? Like, but yeah. I, I've done a lot of things and, and a lot of things have landed with audiences in a way that makes me really happy. You know, I've got my original novels, like The Endless Festival just came out last year. You know, like I do a lot of things. And so I feel incredibly creatively fulfilled. And so if the only thing I had ever done was create Muse with Ron Garney and come up with that Mayor Fisk arc, and then like it was going to be in the show, but nobody was talking about it in terms of like talking to me or whatever, I would be, I would probably be bitter, but because I can also say, well, that's a really cool thing. And, and the idea that ideas that Ron and I had, um, or, you know, plot twists that I came up with have been, have been considered cool enough to make it to, you know, to be adapted into another incredibly expensive medium. Like that's one of those artistic milestones that, is, is very powerful, even if you are feeling a little bit like you're getting screwed over by not getting a check for a million dollars or whatever the thing is. It, <laughs> you, I would rather be somebody who's excited about cool shit happening than bitter about things that aren't happening. So yeah. um, that's good. I mean, that's the philosophy, right? You know, I that's should very sad, very meditative. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, I would say that works, that philosophy works 90% of the time. Sometimes I'll get, a, you know, a little up in arms, but yeah, I... You're still you know, human, Charles. It's okay. Yeah, 90%. Yeah. That's a great percent. That's a good yeah, ratio. Yeah. Uh, well, it no, was exciting for me to see. I hope they do it. I hope if they are doing it, I hope they do it justice is the main thing because it's a great yeah. storyline. Particularly the Muse stuff. If, if, if you know, if that happens, I, um, I mean, yeah. I am... What I, what I can say, because I guess it doesn't matter anymore, is that I am 
99% sure that Muse was in it. And mm, I don't yeah. know if Muse is still in it. So that's right. kind of a weird, that was, that was one of, that fit in that 10% thing. You know, it's like, well, yeah. you're gonna, you're gonna like pull it away. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. But it's, but it's not my thing. You know, I'm, I know they're doing, you know, they're working really hard to make it awesome. It's very exciting that so much of the, of the cast from the Netflix show is involved. Um, and I hope it's great. I mean, that's the main thing. If they, whether it's adapting my material or not, I love Daredevil and I love working on them and, uh, you know, but it would sure would be cool to go to that premiere. So we'll see. There it is. Yeah, it gosh. Well, they need right, to that, figure out the show before they can figure out the premiere. But I uh, think they that will. was a lot of stuff before, uh, last thing, I'll just ask you if you want to plug anything else. I assume you probably want to plug the endless vessel. Yes. Um, on June 6th, right? So in addition to all of the other things that we've talked about, I also <laughs> write original novels. Uh, I have written three so far. Um, the first one was the Oracle year. The second yeah. one. I like it too. And then the latest one is called The Endless Vessel that came out in June. Uh, I think it is, I mean, you know, we were talking about 8 Bill and Genius, how proud I am about how, how like perfect I think it is. Um, I think Endless Vessel is, is it's very different, right? It's, um, it's sort of a near future speculative fiction thrillery thing, but it, it's also very beautiful. It's written about the time that we're in and what I think we need to do. It is about the path to happiness. It actually has the secret to happiness in it. Like if you just Whoa. do what the book says, you will be happy. You know, I mean, that's not a bad deal for whatever. That is a hell of a deal. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to erase the first part of our podcast with Min Lay because that Enlightenment stuff doesn't have anything yep. on Endless Vessel. <laughs> um, so that came out in June. Uh, it's available at, at bookstores everywhere. Um, and then I did a, I actually, because... I just can't help myself. I wrote a novella, kind of like a sidequel to it, um, a, a second story that takes place alongside the narrative of the main story, which I kickstarted in the spring to help promote the main book. Uh, that is finally done, being printed, uh, is available. You can order it on my website. It's called Chronicles of the Lazarine. So if you want to do a one-two punch, go to the old charlesoul.com wow. store, and you can get nice. lots of cool things from me with my name on them. Awesome. All of your things are super cool, Charles. It is yes. always good talking to you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for spending so much time. Always a pleasure. Thanks Great for having me. Great to see you. Great to talk Bye. to you. Bye. All right. There we go. Once again, that was Charles Soule. A million things we can talk about, but just real quick, check out Star Wars, the comic from Marvel, also the High Republic comics. You can check out as many High Republic novels, including Trials of the Jedi, which is coming in 2025, I believe. The Dark Droids storyline, the bloody dozen, eight billion genies. Um, We also mentioned curse words. Curse words. Come on. And a bunch of others. Undiscovered country. Yeah, just um, unbelievable stuff. Guy, all he does is hit. Hit dingers, man. It's just he's hitting dingers. You know, he's hitting dingers. Guy calls his shot and just hits dingers, man. Don't you love a dinger? Yeah. The Last Kids on Earth and their superhero alter egos are back in the latest installment of the graphic novel spinoff series, The Last Comics on Earth. Too many villains. Jack, June, Quint, and Dirk face their biggest challenge yet: creating the sequel to their hit graphic novel in a mad dash, puzzle-filled race across Apocalyptia to stop the biggest evil plan in history. Hey, you know what the creators of Last Comics on Earth's evil plan is? Make me and my kids love these books. Seriously, my younger kid is a huge fan of both the Last Kid series and the Last Comic series. It's true. And now I'm hooked too. The whole team has created a delightful cast of characters with some fantastic kid-friendly art throughout that will appeal to readers of all ages. Buy your copy of The Last Comics on Earth in stores today. You can also visit lastkidsonearth.com to learn more.
All right, folks, we're going to move on with our next section, which is my favorite section because you all make it up. It is your, I forgot what joke I made earlier. I'm just going to say audience questions. Yay! All right. And for audience questions, all you got to do is drop a question in the comments over on Facebook, YouTube, X, Twitter, or Twitch. Um, I'll try to check it on Instagram if you're watching on Instagram, I guess, as well. Uh, But in the meantime... I completely forgot to mention one thing when we were talking to Charles, which is uh, Brett Macris, a.k.a. Stray Bullet, bullies. a.k.a. Stray Bullies, our official CBC chef. He does design a drink every week. He did design a drink this week as well in honor of all the Star Wars stuff from Charles, uh, which was a scruffy nerf herder. Oh, mezcal, yeah. Campari, chili liqueur, lime juice, and some simple syrup or agave. Um, I, I didn't end up making that uh, because I have... The Poblano chili liqueur, and that just doesn't taste good to compare it with Campari to me. But Alex, I made a spicy a margarita. You're slicing spicy mm. margarita. That's nice. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. What are you guys drinking? Um, I had a tequila Negroni, and I've just cracked open a little bit of Miller High Life. Mm. And you got some Land Shark still, Pete. Knock knock. Had... Who's there, Land Shark? Excellent. This is from Schweikler. What are your musical obsessions? What comic characters have musical tastes that would be surprising? Uh, what are our musical obsessions? I don't know. We It's funny. We don't talk a lot about music, the three of mm. us. I guess mm. our comic book obsession is uh, takes focus. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've been, uh, I inherited from my dad a big Bob Dylan affinity. I just saw Bob oh. Dylan uh, a few months back here in the city. He was walking down the street and you were like, yo, Bobo! No, so I'm in concert. Uh, oh, okay. But Bobo is how I would address. That's how he wants to be. Bob. Bobby D. Bob Dylan is so old. And uh, at the end of the Dylan show at the King's Theater in Brooklyn, uh, we ran down to for the last, the middle of the last song to be up close. And he's just a tiny old man. It's yeah. it's crazy. And They're all humans. All of your heroes are humans. Yeah. Ooh. It comes down to it. Uh feel like Wolverine probably listens to country or something in his truck. Oh, how dare around. you, dude? It's probably metal or rock AC, and roll. AC. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wolverine's popping some. Well, yeah. that's what you think, but I think like when nobody's watching, he turns on the country station. No, he's exclusively show tunes. That's the reveal I want, <laughs> oh, that Wolverine man. loves classic Just like his, his father, Hugh Jackman. <laughs> exactly. It makes yes. total sense. The only Wolverine we could ever imagine, Hugh Jackman. I mean, as far as musical obsessions, I go down different rabbit holes of different kind of stuff. Like, I'll go through like a Zeppelin Rush drum solo kind of like a rabbit hole on YouTube of watching different things. I'll go through different metal uh, kind of obsessions and... You know, there'll be like certain riffs or different songs that I have to listen to the original of or where did it come from or who got this from what uh, or whether that's Prince guitar solos or whatever it is. But uh, yeah, who are you telling to go fuck themselves when it's just you and you (laughs) two? I guess it's me. I guess you're telling yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'd like to think that uh, a lot of the characters we know and love have interesting musical tastes. Yeah. I Punisher's most... a big Taylor Swift fan. Like yeah, we all is. know that. Yeah, Swifty. He's a no Swifty. Question. Yeah, Karma is his boyfriend. 
Stanley says, do you guys like entertainment award shows? Any thoughts on recent award show results? Uh, I recently changed jobs and I don't have to cover award shows anymore and I could not be happier. Oh, <laughs> Alex, come on. You didn't watch the Emmys? No. The Emmys were last night. I don't night. care. I watched the shit out of them. It was uh, great that the great shows were awarded. It was unfortunate that they, they got all the awards. Almost yeah. every award went to Succession, The Bear. And Better the Call Bear. Saul, 53 Emmy nominations, zero wins. That's Tragic. Insane. Agreed. There are so many great shows, and there were so many disappointed creatives. Uh, it looked like Bill Hader was just so bummed because Barry didn't take anything home. Yeah, they, no whole Hank got nothing, too? I mean, come no, on, man. No, award Hank is what they're calling him now. Uh, Jason Sudeikis from the yeah, Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. Get, like, everybody's traveling. They get nothing? Down. Come on. But that, that's the nature of the way television works now and the way it's such groundswell-based yeah, stuff. Favorites, and then they just shun everyone else. But, like, it, it's exciting to be there. The, what I like about award shows is the Golden Globes, which are a couple, like, two weeks ago, and then the Emmys. A ton of celebrities were there. There's a great enthusiasm. Globes were fun. Everyone was screwing around a little bit. Emmys, big, like, if you like TV, it was all about classic television shows. They did reunions. I like award shows. It's great to see what's happening and what people are talking about. So I will say this Emmys was a pretty austere affair. Not a lot of deviation from just, thank you for this award I enjoyed. Uh, keeping on the same band, Michael Emmond says, who wore it best at the Emmys last night? I mean, I, I got to shout out, this isn't wore it best, but uh, Maddie Matheson going up and giving the speech for the bear was fucking fun. And like, he's a wild man and it was great. Great to see Evan Moss uh, back rack win. Man, I love that show is so good. So like the fact that they all won was fantastic. And that uh, was for season I, one, not season two even. Yeah. Hannah Waddingham. Yeah. I don't know, probably, right? That's great. Yeah. Probably? Probably. I, I didn't look at anything. I read a book last night. It was very nice. When do Ooh. collected editions get too big to read? An absolute edition is ridiculous. That's a workout. What do you guys think about that? Uh, I, I mean, I like an om, an om, a series of omnibuses. Um, my, I guess, go to would be Starman. I think there are five omnibuses for that whole series of eighty-one issues, and that's nice because you can pick one up and then finish it and put it down in the pick next. So rather than holding a straight-up tome. Yeah, I mean, it's it really depends. Sometimes I love a tome just to have it all in one place, uh, but for readability, I like it broken up a little bit. Uh, whether it's graphic novels or kind of a couple of them in one. So I think an omnibus mostly is a collector's piece more than anything. Like it's something so that yeah. beyond the single issues, you have that on your shelf. That is the definitive of brick book just that is sitting there. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Give me that brick. But that said, the, I mean, they weren't that size, but like the things that were dozens and dozens of issues those are the ones that my dad got for, I've talked about the Superman thing that he had. He had a bunch of other books like that. There was a Little Nemo in Slumberland enormous collection that he had that I think, oh, yeah. I don't even know how many strips, but that was that great was cool. because yeah. as a kid, you could sit there for hours just flipping through that. That was an entire afternoon or day or something like that. And it was just so good. So I, I think there's a I've been for it. I've been reading the Calvin and Hobbes uh, strip oh, with, my yeah. with, with my kids and yeah. reading them with children. Which one like, are you on? 
uh, we're just reading through. I, I don't even know, but like, uh, it's great. But also, like, I'm like, you don't really get what is happening in this. <laughs> like, so much <laughs> of it is like high philosophy or like, mm-hmm. yeah, daily... but it, they don't have to get it all. No, and, I, of yeah. course. And like, we're they really love it, despite the fact that I'm like, do you know what they mean when he's talking Doesn't about matter. how Doesn't like matter. children are shackled by because of their lack of democracy? And I'm like. Yeah. Maybe not, but I agree. I love reading anything to my kids. All right. That is it for your audience questions. We are going to move on with our next section, which is trivia. And for that, we're going to turn it over. Oh, wait. We're not going to move it on to trivia. Thank you, Pete. Um, Actually, before you do that, before you mention that, I also forgot another thing, which is we got a little plug here. Oh, yeah. Do the plug. Real quick. on this episode of Comic Book Club, we're excited to feature a really funny podcast, perfect for anyone who hates censorship. If you love censorship, this is not for you. It's called Bandcamp, and the hilarious duo of Jennifer and Dan hosts it. Bandcamp is a comedy podcast where they read banned books, try to figure out why they were banned in the first place. This season, they're reading Mark Twain's classic, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, one chapter at a time, out loud. If you think banning books will lead to a not-so-great future, then Bandcamp is for you. Whether you're like Jennifer, curious to read the book for the first time, or like Dan and love batting, I'm kidding, and a little too lazy to read it yourself, you'll love Bandcamp. Look for Bandcamp that's banned with two N's on your favorite podcast player and subscribe today. Let's get banned together. Yeah. Now over to Pete LePage for letter reading time. This is All right. letter 44 with Pete LePage. All right. So this is Spawn the Dark Ages number 15. Um, I'm From sorry, what year, Pete? From what year? Uh, it doesn't say on here. Here, I'll find out. Um, <clears throat> so I'm sorry I don't have my gloves on me here. I wish I did. Uh, is, just is can it, you mention Pete? why you're... Yeah, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. So but I wrote in uh, to Spawn the Dark Ages. And, and this they, is a handwritten letter or an email? Uh, no, this was a handwritten letter. Yeah. Also, uh, I just want to mention, so when you first mentioned this, when you wrote it, I was like, ah, this is when Pete was a little kid writing letters. This is May 2000. Yeah, yeah. I just moved to New York City. I was living okay. in Harlem. Uh, with my uh, roommate for sounds of jazz floating past your window. <laughs> oh, don't! Yeah, it's right by the Lennox Lounge. Are you kidding me? Come on! I was one twenty third. Hulk and abomination <laughs> fighting right it's, outside. I love. What this else do I know about piece, Harlem? Period piece vibe we're establishing. Yeah, I must have. Been the Charleston was the twenty one, twenty two. How old was I in two thousand? Don't um, say. Yeah, don't say. All right, here we go. So I have to read this letter, which I don't want to read, but you guys are making me. That's Um, not what's happening. You got the comic out, and you picked it up without gloves, and everyone's mad. Oh, come on, dude. Stop. I'm going to. All right. I'm going to. I wish I could show you my comics. Gloves would help them. Uh, Gloves would be like. I'm I'm covering my fingers with my shirt here. Just hold it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Dear Spawn the Dark Ages. By the way, Todd McFarlane just texted me. He's watching the show, and he says he never wants to see you again. Okay, that makes sense. Let me read this first. Because you touched the comic book, just to be clear. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Only for a little bit. Okay. Dear Spartan the Dark Ages. First off, oh my God, this is so me. Uh, I love it. The comics, the toys, the HBO animated series. Now this is parentheses. Not going to say anything about the movie. Yikes. Wow. Way to, way to be with the man. Way to be Still with the man. Still putting it out there. Putting it all out there. 
Let me just say, uh, Pete, this is exactly how you still are now. <laughs> Buckle up, because that, it gets more me as it goes. <laughs> the voice of Spawn in the animated series is so key. Anyway, I was wondering if some of the Dark Ages toys, uh, if I will ever see them in the comics. Okay, <laughs> down to Sorry. business. The comics... My favorite is, of course, Dark Ages. My roommate Dave right. loves the undead, and we both love regular Spawn. I just re <laughs> finished reading number 14 of the Dark Ages. I'm curious about the next adventure. I really enjoy the way the pages look like old photo albums, just showing snapshots of faces and such. Helps with the story... Helps with the storyline a great deal, I feel. The main reason I am writing <laughs> is that as much as I've Sorry, enjoyed... this is two paragraphs down from what you said down to business, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Let me just say the phrase I'm curious about the next adventure is going to be heavily used in the stack podcast from now on. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, the main reason I'm writing you is, is that uh as much as I enjoy seeing Maeve in skinny outfits and scenic land shots, I don't want you to forget about why Spawn the Dark Ages is so great. It's Spawn. And seeing him in action, messing heads up with all those really cool medieval weapons. You know what I'm saying? Thank you for making Spawn. I appreciate what you and everyone involved in the making of this comic does. A big fan, Pete LePage, New York. So just, I was, while you were reading this, I was going to be like, hey, what prompted you to write in this letter? And correct me if I'm wrong. The answer was, too many sexy ladies in the comic book need to focus on the violence? The Yes, because the issue before this uh, had a character and uh, you know maybe she wasn't as uh, yeah so that incensed me to write That's immediately amazing. following that was the most that complimentary issue. like takedown letter I've ever read Michael <laughs> Eamon says it in the comments hey creator of Spawn you've lost your way more blood please <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, oh a, that's a that's the tweet version of that letter from Pete that's oh, amazing. Thank you so much for reading that, Pete. That was. Hey, wait, did Todd McFarlane, did anyone respond in the, it was just printed? Oh, no. Yeah, there's a response. What are you, you're not going to read the response? <laughs> what? Pete. Wait, should we save this for the next time? <laughs> no, no, read it. Take it out. It's in a uh, five episode like arc. Let's oh, just get God. to the letter. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to know your secret spawn the dark oh, ages. Hang please. on, I got to cover my fingers. You don't. What's the value of spawn the dark ages number five? I'll look Outside that of the personal value. What okay. what number was this again? Number fifteen. 15. On the dark and, uh, and just keep in mind, it went from mint to near mint on this podcast. Oh my god! <laughs> no way, man! I've been covered. Nope. Oh Once oil touches it, uh, NM. Okay, uh, man. They they do like three paragraphs. Like I can't read all this. Just give us the high. Give us the funniest one. The toys we design are done exclusively to be the toys as a No, no, you got to read the whole answer. You got to read the whole answer. Do uh, it. This Do is it. how it starts. Yeah, of course. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> the toys we design are done exclusively to be the toys as a crossover from publication to plastic. 
I want each area of publishing games and toys, TV and movies to march to the beat of their its own drum. It doesn't mean I, I haven't done it before, and we may do in Dark Ages, but we don't have any specific plans right now. With the team of Steve Niles and Nat Jones on Dark Ages, we'll take the book into a direction that focuses more on Spawn. We'll strip Spawn to his bare essentials and make him fight his way back to the top. Coincidentally, a hot new movie just came out called Gladiator. In the simplest form, it does the same thing by taking a leader and bringing him down a few pegs that forces him to climb back up and uh, to power and dignity. It's a common thing that has been happening for thousands of years, and we're going to uh, take our crack at it with Spawn. Hope you enjoy it. He's basically like, yeah, uh, I'm turning this into Gladiator, so shut the fuck up. That's really funny. What a hilarious comparison. That's that was amazing. by Todd, by Mr. McFarlane himself. Now, wait, Pete, is this the regular edition or the newsstand edition? Because they're two uh, different prices. I don't know. It's this one. Is it shinier or does it look like newsprint on the cover? It's definitely shinier. shinier. It's shinier. Okay, so it it says here, if untouched by human hands, $30,000, otherwise oh. $5. No, it, right, it well, actually five, is... Five bucks isn't bad. A near mint is $10.14 on eBay. Hey! That's not bad. Uh, the newsstand hey, edition... Is thirty dollars for some reason. So there you go. Ooh. This was a probably more rare. This is one yeah. that you know we were all getting our comics in the shiny side. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, anyway, thank you. Andy says that, I should have told them how old I was. Yeah, <laughs> your biggest fan, Pete, twenty, a- age thirty six. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Why don't we get to our next section, which is trivia? And for that, I'm going to once again turn it over to Pete LePay. Oh boy. To oh. uh win twenty-five free dollars to Midtown Comics Online, so please feel free to uh be like, hey, pick me or first hand up guy, whatever you want to do, and we will get you twenty-five free dollars. Because if you had twenty-five bucks, you go to a comic book shop. Definitely. And you'd write a letter and get yourself published. Ooh, Michael yeah. Even says you. What a twist. Moo. Mm-hmm. Do you think uh do you think he's volunteering? I think Pick Stanley. Is. Well pick Stanley. All right. Oh, okay. uh, David Cruz has, has a me out there. Oh, David Cruz. How about David let's Cruz? Go. Yeah, let's go with David Cruz. All right, David Cruz, David you Cruz got it. Give me the juice tin name after all my juice talk earlier. All right. All right, today's trivia is on unintentional funny moments in comics. And a small nod to the legend, Tom Wilkinson. R.I.P. R.I.P. (laughs) Please listen to all three options before making your selection. Here we go. Question number one. An army guy in the tank yells, Blank is fighting with a one-eyed monster. Who is Blank? Is it A, Hulk, B, Superman, or C, Matthew Cox. Nice. The old so when you think of monster. monster, maybe you think Hulk. You know what I mean? I don't want to lead the witness anyway, but... Uh, nice. That is. This is a court trial in a lot of ways. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm in trouble then. Hmm. 
Uh, David Cruz says Yahoo. So he's yeah. a couple Ooh, of seconds is, behind at this that's point. That's just general celebration. Yeah, yeah. that's just... Uh, David, David Quinley says I'll do, it. I'll do it. Great. This is going well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, A is A. correct. All yeah, right. all right. Question number two: Who says "Where is my money, honey?" to Doctor Doom? Is it A. Sue Storm, B. Luke Cage, or is it C. Marty Stone Rock? Mm, Don't Marty believe anything that Marty Stone Rock says. That sounds a lot like a comic book character. Yeah, it sounds and, like a uh, Flintstones character. And it sounds like something Luke Cage would say personally. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because he talks like that. Or does he yeah, know a he lot does. of people in the Stone Rock family? Well, he definitely likes to rhyme a little bit when he talks. You know what I mean? He has the Stone same Rock. Rock. That's a? A? Is it A again? It is B, Luke Cage. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Last one. Oof. Question number three. Who says, I can't sit down after what that robot did to me? Was it A, Iron Man, B, Lois Lane, or C, Pat No Day? Pat No Day? Yeah, Pat No Day. Not today, No Day. No Day. Yeah. Nice. This sounds like a real movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, that does sound like something that Iron Man would say. Well, it's not Iron Man because it was probably at the Daily Planet when it happened. Yes, Lois Lane. Oh, wow. That's Michael Aemon for the steal. Has that ever happened not, before? Yeah, it's not David. Yeah, we can't have. Uh, let's just say David won. David, congratulations. You've won somehow against all yes. the odds. Great. If the you would that like was a phone a, a friend situation. Yeah. Oh, he says B. There we go. He won. David Cruz won. If you would yeah. like a gift card to Midtown Comics, shoot us an email and we will get that out to you. Pete, what is the secret movie? Well, of course, we're talking about the 2016 rom-com, The Choice. What a weird movie to choose for. No, he is fucking unbelievable in that movie. Don't you say shit about that. I loved him in that movie. Tal Wilkinson has such a storied career. Great character actor in in so many movies. It's crazy. If only he was in some contextually appropriate movie to our comic book podcast. But alas, I guess... Oh, we'll oh I'm sorry. Know. Maybe I heightened his level in a rom-com. You did. Yeah, You, you, sure. you did that. <laughs> yeah, that was Great. a confession. All right. Well, yes, why don't we move on and talk about how comic books are coming out all the time. We love comic yeah, books. So do. what do we want to shout out that's coming out this week or already out this week? Pete? Oh, I want to shout out Black Hammer, the end, number five. Mm. Nightwing, 110. And what's the furthest place from here? Oh, wow. I thought for sure you were going to say a different comic, but I I won't. Ooh, do you want to? Justin, what about you then? Um, I got a shout out. I had a lot of great reads here. Uh, One of my favorite comics that's been going on um, is coming to a conclusion. Uh, the Enfield Gang Massacre number six comes out tomorrow. I love that team. It's Chris Condon, Jacob Phillips from That Texas Blood. Uh, wrapping it up, then I believe they're going back to more of that Texas blood. Excited for both. And a comic that I really enjoyed the first issue, very much looking forward to the second, Our Bones Dust, number two mm-hmm. from Image by oh, Ben Stenbeck. Yeah, yeah. Man, this comic is such a great post-apoc- deep post-apocalyptic story. Humans on the run, aliens are uh, popping by, but the tone is just right, is super surprising and interesting really enjoyed 
Lots of stuff I'm really looking forward to tomorrow. The ones that I'll shout out. The Deviant number three from Image Comics yeah. by James Tynan Fourth and Joshua Hickson. This is a messed up Christmas James serial killer tale that I've been very into. Also, Miracle Man, The Silver Age, number seven. Mm. Oh. Finally bringing to a close the story that they began, I want to say, 30 years ago. Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham. So very excited to see how that ends. And I guess I'm the big G.I. Joe fan on the podcast because Cobra That's Commander always been true. One. Cobra Commander! You didn't mention it. You didn't mention it, so I guess you're not into it. Oh, but la, I'm la, excited la. about Cobra Commander number one is coming out. The Energon Universe titles have been great. So that hey, we had a great exciting. talk with Joshua Williamson one we week did. ago tonight about this very comic. Huh. Absolutely. You should check that out if you want to know more about Cobra Commander and Duke and all the other books he's doing. And all of those books are going to be in our uh, Stack podcast, which debuts Wednesday at 9 a.m., both in the Stack podcast feed and in the Comic Book Club feed. And folks, that is it for this week's show. A couple of people we want to thank. We want to thank Min Lay for coming on to talk about yes. me. Also, Charles right. Soule for talking about everything. Always love having him on the show check out all of his stuff next week on the show we're gonna have two more great guests heath amodio is gonna be here to talk about copycat and andrew cranky is gonna be on to talk about bloodrick great yeah, new bloodrick a book bloodrick great new conan yeah. type series excited to chat about that comic book club news our daily news podcast coming out every weekday at 6 a.m go and subscribe marvel vision our marvel podcast as mentioned earlier, we actually I didn't mention this, but we did our Echo episode where we talked about the whole season. So check that out. Patreon.com slash comic book club to support the show and all the shows we do. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Android, Spotify, or the app of your choice at Comic Book Live on Twitter slash X, Comic Book Club Live on Instagram and TikTok, Comic Book Club Live.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, good night. Good night, everybody. Thank you. They sit on crappy couches and they let the secrets leak. And occasionally they'll let that special destiny. So grab your grin and